Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Rachel Housel Hall's debut novel, A Quiet Storm, was published in 2002 by Scribner to Great Notice and was chosen as a Rory's Book Club selection, the must-read book list for fictional television character Rory Gilmore of the Gilmore Girls. She is the critically acclaimed author and Los Angeles Times book finalist for And no, she, Now She's Gone, which also was nominated for the Lefty, Barry, and Anthony Awards. A New York Times best-selling author, of The Good Sister with James Patterson, Rachel is an Anthony International Thrillers writer and Lefty Award nominee and the author of They All Fall Down, Land of Shadows, Skies of Ash, Trail of Echoes, and City of Saviors in the De Detective Eloise Norton series, as well as the author of the best-selling Audible original, How It Ends. Rachel is a former member of the Board of Directors for Mystery Writers of America and has been featured a writer on NPR's acclaimed Crime in the City series and the National Endowment for the Arts weekly podcast. She has also served as a mentor in Pitch Wars and the Association of Writers Programs. She lives in L.A. with her husband and daughter. A great welcome to Rachel Housel Hall for episode 196, her book, which will be the main focus of our conversation today. What Never Happened is out today as of August 1st. 2023 what never happened through amazon publishing go out and get it today trust me you will not be disappointed enjoy the show hi rachel good evening how are you i'm wonderful how are you Good. We, before recording, you were telling me, and first of all, I'm so excited to be talking to you. Um, Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. What Never Happened Yay. comes out August 1st. We're talking on July 27th. Uh -huh. So you are no rookie. Definitely had a lot of books out before, but like, how's it feel with people will be hearing this on August 1st or thereabouts? Like, how's it feel <laughs> with this book coming out with that deep breath you take there? It never, one, it never gets old. So, nice. you know, it's incredibly exciting and you realize just how blessed you are because, you know, there are so many people who want just one book published and I have, mm. you know, a bunch, but it also never gets old you being terrified, mm. you know, what people think about it and, you know, avoiding Goodreads as much as possible because it just hurts so much. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's a mixed bag. I'm excited and terrified. So yeah. <laughs> when you say stay off Goodreads, are we talking like 100% abstinence? 
Well, yeah, I, I, well, I go on to look at someone else's, you know, uh-huh. reviews, but not mine. It's just, it's just too much. It, and it, and it's sad and unfortunate that, but this is life where you focus on the one bad, but mm. you know, ignore good ones, yeah. nine thousand good. Sure, so, sure, yeah. sure, sure. And with writers, it's even more so because it's. It really is a personal thing. Even mm-hmm. you know, it's commerce, yes, because we're getting paid and blah 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 and selling it. But the stories come from somewhere. They come from you know trauma or fear or these places. And so our work, it it really is, you know, very very personal. So when mm-hmm. someone you know slams it or whatever, it you feel a little tender. You feel a little tender. You bring me back to the college workshops, the, the oh. creative writing workshops. You know? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Writ well, large, talk, so. right? Writ large for sure. Yeah. Tell us where to, to where to buy it. Obviously, it's it's you know, congrats. It's an Amazon first reads, one of those. Yes. Amazon Prime members can get for free, right? Yes, as well know? as any independent bookstore that you love. For instance, Murder by the Book, Poison Pen, um, all of them will will have access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Libraries will have it as well. Sephora libraries and um, some bookstores. Oh, I said that already. Uh, sure. Barnes and Noble, all those types of things. So anywhere you get your books, it will be available. And if it's not in the store, they can order it for you. Are you extremely online? Are you kind of sort of online? Kind of sort of, kind of sort of with yeah. with with the demise of Twitter, which is my 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 favorite social mm-hmm. media. I'm finding myself less and less online. Yeah. That was my that was my way of getting news. I'm not much of a sure. Instagrammer. Facebook is kind of weird. And yeah. So yeah, yeah. And and so I think you're I, just just a dot com for you. It's you know so your last name is H O W Z E double L. Yeah. Right, Rachel Housel Hall. Yes. You find you at that dot com. Dot com. Cool. Yeah. Www dot Yes. Awesome. I'm, you know, just kind of swimming in the book, just finished it probably 45 minutes ago. And for those people listening, like you, you want to buy this book. I, I, I'll ask you in a minute, kind of talk about genre and all that. I'm, you know, I'm not the person who necessarily has always read crime or thrillers, man, like just the last, you know, 15 pages, you think that there's been a resolution that it has, and it just keeps going, it keeps unwinding or unraveling. And it's like, oh man. Cause that is life. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I see life. Where you just kind of go along, go along. You think everything's fine, and then mm-hmm. it all goes left just when you out of the tunnel. But you're not yeah. out of the tunnel. And and so I write stories like that, where mm. everything looks uncomplicated, but mm. life is everything but uncomplicated. And you know, for some some readers, they're like, "Get to it." It's like I am, yeah. just like in life. And then it's going to come and hit you across the head. Yeah. So yeah, I like telling stories like that. No, I mean we'll we'll talk about them. In. I mean you got to it. I mean the the be- the beginning is an obituary. Uh, like yes, hey, I mean you got to yes, it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. I um, that was my editor's idea because mm-hmm. it was nestled somewhere else, and she's like, "What if we put that at the front?" I'm like, oh, yeah. that would be kind of awesome. Yeah. 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 What a great way to to introduce a book. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. All all is not well yeah. from page one. Have you have you seen the movie Goodfellas? Yes. Oh gosh, a long right? time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. That, that that first scene where you know they they find the body that is not quite killed yet and slam ah. the door and he says, you know, as far back as I can remember, I was wanted to be a gangster. And it's like, okay, welcome okay. to the movie. 
welcome to the movie. All right. <laughs> enter, enter. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Here's the <laughs> I'd love to. Yes. I'd love to know about about growing up and and some mm -hmm. of you know kind of what you were reading, how you kind of shaped as a reader and a writer. Um, yes. Okay. You know, were you the kid always at the library? Were you into John Saul and Stephen King? And <laughs> yeah. So um, I I'm a Los Angeles native, and I still live here. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love this place. But you know, like any city, large or small, it has its its issues. Yes, mm -hmm. it is dangerous. And for a little kid who is curious and very perceptive, um, crime has always fascinated me. And I would I kept a journal from third grade all the way to uh, second year out of college. So those things that I didn't understand uh, that scared me, I'd write about them just in my in in my journal. And so I, the idea of capturing real life and listening to how people talk to each other and the things we do to each other, not necessarily um, transgressions that have a civic code, you know, a law law, but things that are hurtful, not illegal, but they still take pieces of you, you know? So that's always been fascinating to me. And I always wanted to explore that. I found uh, solace in books. I, like most writers, I love me some books. I mean, I even cried one Christmas because my mom didn't get me the books I wanted. She got me everything else, but the books. And yeah, that was, but that that's who I was. Um, and so, yeah, I was the kid at the library, the kid at the library with all the books, kid at the library, uh, reading books that were considered too old for, you know, my age at the time. That's a pattern, yeah. Yeah, I was the kid in seventh grade who had a copy of uh, Wifey by Judy Bloom, which, you know, back then was really, really racy. racy. And it got passed around in my English class because it, you know, it had naughty bits. And the teacher, the teacher took my copy and I never got it back. So I was that kid, you know, <laughs> bringing uh, uh, questionable literature, with <laughs> other kids, you know, flowers in the attic, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I disappeared into those worlds like good books do. And mm -hmm. even though I didn't really see myself ethnically, uh, class wise in those stories, uh, the ones that I gravitated to still spoke to me, you know, um, Stephen King, you mentioned Stephen King, my all time favorite love, whatever I read, read it. Right. And that's that story. I didn't know what a banger Maine was when I read it, you know, cause <laughs> LA, what is Maine? What banger with an O. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there was something about him writing about kids, my age, scared of, sewers i was scared of sewers sure, sure. um sewers that held you know scary clowns i was scared of clowns with eyes like dimes it's like i get that i understand that you know what i'm i'm, I'm scared of and so I, I i loved everything he wrote because even though i wasn't from that place uh he got me you know mm -hmm. uh, so yeah i and i read a lot of genre jackie collins mm -hmm. uh judy bloom her adult stuff too uh, Sydney Sheldon, for some random reason, I was into a Tom Clancy phase, maybe because mm. I think Al I thought Alex Baldwin was hot in, you know, <laughs> whatever movie that was. And I was a teenage girl. So it was like, oh, let me read. So yeah, 
I read all over the place. And then I went to college uh, and majored in book club, basically. Uh, uh -huh. I was an English American literature major at UC Santa Cruz. Uh -huh. So I got to get a degree in reading, in writing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Go, ban go banana slugs. Banana slugs. How yes. I finally saw one my last year of, of uh -huh. school. That was a trippy experience because, you know, coming from Los Angeles, and this is 1988, uh, the school was still pretty kind of counterculture. Mm. They uh, still had a nudity policy there. And I remember new people getting on the bus and it's never the people you want to see nude. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it was it was a culture shock leaving, you know, South Central LA to mm. this place with banana slugs and open fields and naked hairy people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for that. So you talked about, you know, ideas of representation. Did, was that something that like at the time you could have, you could have vocalized, like you didn't necessarily see yourself or that was something you kind of realized later on? Well, well, it was so normal. Mm. You know, my, I grew up and my default was always white. And so that's just how it was. It wasn't until um, after, I think it was college where I started kind of like, well, why aren't we in books? Why aren't we in mysteries and romances? What is the deal with that? And I knew that I wanted to uh, reflect the life that I had and the life that my friends and family had, but I didn't want to necessarily write, you know, a Toni Morrison type novel or a James Baldwin type novel with, you know, big ideas and intellectually heavy. And because I like genre, I liked uh, to be educated, but also entertained. And so I didn't know that I hadn't read any stories like that. And it wasn't until um, Terry McMillan wrote uh, Waiting to Excel and Walter Mosley published Devil in a Blue Dress that it's like, oh, okay, this is possible. And so, you know, I, I wanted to kind of reflect that kind of contemporary uh, LA city life uh, uh, that I that I knew because you know there are tons of LA novels mm -hmm. but never the neighborhoods that I grew up in mm -hmm. so I was very aware of that and I you know make it a point to write LA stories uh, people from my neighborhood who may find themselves in other parts of Southern California where there are not many of us meaning uh, uh, you know, black folks and just how isolating that can be mm -hmm. even in a city of four million people. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's a mission of mine to present, you know, these types of, of heroines who represent me and um, women like me, hmm. and even you know, women of all, women of all races. We all have relationship problems or parent problems or job things, and that transcends um, race and class in many ways. So. Yeah, it's but I definitely wanted to make, you know, the heroine in all these uh, stories that I write as the main character, because I'm the main character in my life. <laughs> I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Who were who some of those you mentioned, Walter Mosley, Terry McMillan, who else, you know, maybe even more into more, more contemporary times really just, you know, thrills you as a reader and like challenged you, made you want to be like them, you know? Oh, my uh, gosh. Um, definitely Laura Lipman mm -hmm. and... Gillian, Gillian Flynn, and both of them, uh, particularly because they write complex female characters 
who aren't necessarily, I hate this, but they consider it not likable. Mm. And when I hear that, when I see that, is that it, to me, Probably it's language, like, oh, no? who aren't real, you know, uh-huh. who want some kind of gussied up uh, <laughs> woman who has no issues, who is never wrinkled and never tired. So I like, um, I've always loved their stories because they write women so well. Yeah, those those two, especially Dennis Lehane. Oh, my gosh. And his stories, especially for the twist element. He mm, does okay. great tricks. And I like tricks in my in my stories. So mm. that and then I also love um, a few nonfiction writers. I love Eric Larson. I mean, anyone who could make the invention of telegraphs exciting and sexy. <laughs> Yes, talent, right? <laughs> um, so him and John Krakauer, I wrote, oh, I yeah. read Into Thin Air yeah. four or five times and mm-hmm. uh, all of, under the banner of the sun, all of it. He's just yeah. incre- an incredible uh, writer who you forget this is real life when you're reading right. it. Yeah. So my influences kind of come from everywhere. And I'm a Gen X kid. So TV, definitely TV and, mm. and things uh, have influenced uh, what I write, how I see life, um, <laughs> what I've done, you know, to keep busy as, you know, being a latchkey kid. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've been influenced by many, many things from Benny Hill to, yeah, Tony Morrison. <laughs> Is, was Flynn was the one who did uh, Gone Girl? Yes, Gone Girl. But and she then- um, done... Uh, Dark Places and one other book before Gone Girl uh, came out. Okay. And, you know, I never read anyone like these characters she was writing about. Megan Abbott kind of does the same thing. Mm. Um, difficult, uh, complex uh, women who are leading these stories. Um, so, yeah. There is a Flynn character in the book. Yes. Yes, there is. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh. <laughs> Uh, you talked a little bit about genre, like I talked to like Todd Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Todd Goldberg. Oh man, he's he's oh. you know, right. He, Jordan Harper. Jordan, he's our uh, my friend. Eli Eli Craner, someone Eli like Craner, yourself. Who's new, but yeah. Yeah. I I hadn't read Arkansas Story, so uh, that was a joy reading him. Right, but yeah. like just in reading the book, I'm you know thinking of like the first two gentlemen who are more veterans and Eli, but like with with yours, it's like okay, this is a writer, like she's on the top of her game, like you. you know. Thank you. And so I just wonder about like, you know, are you a genre writer? Are you a crime writer? Are you a writer? Do you take you know offense to the fact like, hey, a writer's a writer? Do you, you know, happy to be steeped in the crime writer, um, you know, mold? Well, I am a proud crime writer, even though I've expanded. I, I'm publishing my first fantasy in February, but oh, cool. my heart is crime. And Todd and, and Jordan, I I really, really enjoy their stories because like me, they have a sense of place mm-hmm. and how uh, settings affect who these their characters are. And mm-hmm. I love that about their writing and mm-hmm. the humor. You know, a lot of, you know, there's some crime that's humorless. You can't make jokes and it's always heavy, but both of them see humor in tragedy. And I, I, I admire them. I've read mm-hmm. all their books. Um, so, yeah. Great one. So, so, so you'll take that on. You'll take the mantle of crime writer and yes, all good. Let's roll. Yes, you know, we work hard to to write this stuff, and Mm -hmm. I, I, it's interesting seeing a few literary writers 
turning to crime to tell their stories. It's a perfect genre because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a definite setup and there's the plot. It's definitely plotty. And then there's some type of resolution, not necessarily closure, mm-hmm. but a solution. And it's entertaining. There's a reason why there are thousands of, you know, law and order SUVs and right. CSI, this and all that, because mm-hmm. we're fascinated by it. We understand it. We've all grown up with this kind of oral tradition of warnings of don't do this, don't go there, don't eat that Mm. berry. This is how you make fire. That's one of, you know, this is something we grew up with and flight and fight syndrome. It's who we are. And Mm. so it's not surprising that people turn to it uh, to be educated, to be a little scared, um, Mm. but to be ultimately entertained too. I mean, True crime. I, I watch that lunch every every day for my lunch break. Uh, one because people are crazy and fascinating, but also you know it it passes the time. It's you know, kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah. I guess like the ba- the questions about the balance between like allegory or symbolism and like plot. I mean, are you, are you setting out like, I'm going to tell this story that has this lesson, you know, not that it's that oversimplified, but like you have an idea of a, of a, le- of a lesson or a, a theme or a topic. A theme, of an issue. Yes. yes the plot I, comes I, next I, or is it kind of vice versa? Um, it depends. It's interesting because I, I start with character. I start, started with this story, Coco mm-hmm. and, uh, how tragedy shapes people, uh, how tragedy uh, makes people do things that they wouldn't otherwise do, cling to people that they wouldn't otherwise have you know, sought relationships with. So I start with that. But then, you know, when I think about the crime around it, then I get thematic. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what am I what am I worried about right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I trying to figure out? right now. And for uh, Coco, it's running away won't solve the problem. And, you know, I'm still trying to, to, to learn that, that, that lesson, even, you know, right now I'm trying to learn that lesson. And so what never happened is just, you know, one more way of me working out fictionally um, what scares me. And part of this story of what scares me is, you know, aging parents. I'm in the sandwich generation of Gen Xer, where I have a kid in college and aging parents. And aging parents is a terrifying thing because you know what comes with that. But before it gets to that awful, awful place, you know, you're having to think about uh, their housing and their health and all this other stuff. And so I wanted Coco to experience um, that difficulty, even though her immediate family, they're gone, she still has this aunt who never really liked her or her dad, but still came to, you know, take care of her um, when she was all alone, when she was orphaned. And just how relationships are what they are, even though it's family, they have a very difficult relationship. Mm-hmm. There's love there, but Gwen's difficult. She is resentful. She's always been a little jealous of her brother and his success. 
So Coco is coming to help care for this aging aunt who feels threatened by her. And so I found that uh, relationship a very interesting one to explore. Mm. What Never Happened is coming out August 1st. You listen probably, like I said, on August 1st or so. Go buy the book. Well, how yes. about some, you, I mean, you talked kind of generally about it. Any any like seeds for the book? I mean, was it based on your your appetite for a true crime podcast? And this is you know based on a real story or what? Well, the the setting I you know I I written a locked room uh, story before they all fall down and that happened on an island, hmm. but I made up that island. You know, Catalina Island exists, and as a Los Angeles kid, that was always like one of the big field trips. You go to Catalina hmm. for the day or you did a week of outdoor education. And it's like this perfect, beautiful place, but there's no such thing as a perfect place. And so I wanted to explore, you know, the ripples underneath it because there are, there's drought there. There's um, a housing crisis there. People are being displaced for, you know, Airbnbs. It's, it's, there's some issues there. And, but you don't see that. You just mm-hmm. see the saltwater taffy, the great seafood, people coming to woohoo and driving golf carts and all this. And you know, there's something else. So I wanted that. And then when I was writing this, it was during the pandemic. So I wanted to take isolation after isolation after isolation. So Coco, who is isolated in her relationships because her family's gone, her marriage is falling apart, her aunt kind of resents her so isolation uh on an island isolated from LA the place she loves and knows um on during the pandemic which is further isolation Mm -hmm. so stacking it up making it worse for our characters because you know that's what we're supposed to do when we're crime and thriller writers just making it worse and worse and not necessarily for fiction reasons but that's what life is one thing after the other. And I wanted to put that on this poor woman. <laughs> who, right. It's, it's, Why it's you got to do that to her. Come on. <laughs> Why do you have to do that to her? So, I know. <laughs> so the but you know, she finds, she finds some respite through her obituary writing. That's how she's honored her family. That's how she helps honor um, those others mm. who she doesn't know, but who have passed giving them a right a send off and a write off where mm. it's more meaningful than just date born and date died and the job and all this but who people actually are right. and you know as like i said i was writing this during the pandemic where folks were passing so much so that you know back east they ran out of space mm-hmm. and just how tragic that is to not have that kind of meaningful departure so she finds some comfort in being able to use her superpower which is writing to help um, other people heal thank you the so the the epigraph is i was about to say epitaph (laughs) there is nothing like returning to a place that remains unchanged to find the ways in which you yourself have altered which is you know so telling and all kinds of famous Mm -hmm. fiction nonfiction. that's from Nelson Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. Yeah, and life. I mean, we all go away to college, right? We go away Mm. to college for four years and then we come home and, you know, your parents are backwards and they don't know things. We've we've changed. 
or you get married and you go and hang out with friends that you hadn't seen and you're different. So life changes who you are slowly. I mean, we're all different from being isolated from each other for three years. You get a cold now and you freak out. So yeah, we we are constantly in flux, in motion, uh, evolving. And I thought for this book, that was a perfect quote, especially um, since Coco is returning to a place to where she hadn't been since she was 16, 17 years old. And now, she, you know, it's 25 years later, she's in her 30s and she mm. is different. She's experienced a lot. So yeah, that was uh, that was a perfect kind of quote that kind of encapsulates, yeah. encapsulates her experience. There was there was a show like I'm not a big series watcher, honestly. Um, just whatever. I don't have the attention span or something to keep going. Uh-huh. But the show Southland, did you happen to ever watch that? I did, but I found it in, in its late in life because I love Regina um, King. Yeah. And by the time I found it, it was canceled or shuffled off into some channel that you know no one yeah. watched. And it sucked because I love I, her. I love I, her. I was, was, she was great. It was a great, great. Sh- I mean, I say great show. Like I don't usually get into like pulpy, like over, I yeah. mean, very over the top. Yeah. But I loved it. But, but they would always start and they're not the only one. It's not the only show, but they'd always start with the in medias rest, right? They'd always mm-hmm. start with the like, boom, right in there. Guys jumping out of the window. Like what happened lead up to it? You know, in a way you lead up to that. Well, you know, whether it's the end or kind of in the middle or towards the end, but it's, it's in the middle of the action and start your book starts with the obituary from March 22nd, 2020. If you, Unless you've been living under a rock for three years, you remember that's, that's <laughs> an important. That's an important month, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And there's an obituary written for for Colette or Coco, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Weber, who's the who's the main character and the narrator of most of it. And you know, kind of leave that f- for people to read. But then we flash back to June twenty three twenty third of two thousand one. Yeah, she was uh, I guess sixteen, maybe. Uh huh. She was sixteen normal 16 year old she wanted you know she wanted to be kissed she wanted to find a cute guy she you know was a little bit it wasn't a huge blow up but there was a little fight at the, you know at the house and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of like you know what i'm gonna go and kind of be bad but she's not a bad girl she like no she's not she tries little, right? but she tries work. exactly <laughs> she had a little bit to drink and that was you know the like the last time i think literally overrated right? yeah overrated mm-hmm. um you know my parents won't let me be i mean classic you know teenager stuff yeah. But unfortunately, when she comes back, and this is on Cat- Catalina Island there, her family is new to the island. She comes back to an absolute disaster, nightmare, terror right. of her family, her brother, and her parents yeah. are dead. Yeah. And, we're and once again, there's there. that quote, even though she had just gone away from the house you know, for a few hours, mm. she's different when she comes back. She has changed even in that short amount of time because she has to, right? Yeah. And so, you know, as the book goes back and forth, you know, we get to know more about that date, yeah. what happened. Harper Hemphill, am I getting the name right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is the one who is arrested and, you know, does jail time many years, yeah. 18, 19 years for the murder. Um, as we flash back to March 9th of 2020, back in 2020 mm-hmm. with Coco, you know, we later find, I don't remember exactly when, but we later find out that Harper has been, he's been let off. There's been, there's yeah. new evidence. Maybe and the was, second chapter. Yeah, right. second chapter. Yeah, it happens early on. And so that was not, you know, he was not the one according to the yeah. law. There was evidence, you know, um, that 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 sprung him. Micah, Micah's a good looking <laughs> dude, huh? Oh, Micah, that good look. How good looking is he? He's like a ten out of ten, or he's he's a ten out of ten. Yeah, and he knows it. 
And so she never had to work for anything. And uh-huh. Colette is not as um, adoring and, you know, s- selfless when it comes to him and his needs. And mm-hmm. when she was young, that was kind of, you know, it, it, it irritated her, but he was there and he was hot and he served a need at that mm-hmm. moment. And, but there's something about him that s- still kind of held her back. And as a result, you know, their relationship was actually kind of thwarted from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, quote, Micah was, quote, spoiled and prissy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think I kind of nailed it. I got to get know, myself on the back. This is how she chose to self-isolate because she knew that sure. Mike didn't like getting on boats, coming across the Pacific. He didn't, he didn't want to be away. He's a, mm-hmm. a struggling actor who didn't want to be too far away from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so Catalina... You know, yes. it's far. There's water, the Pacific yes. Ocean. And so yes. she is ensuring that he can't come and find her and mm-hmm. either convince her to come back or to do harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talked about their marriages breaking apart. There really wasn't a marriage, right? She There, right. there was no official paperwork yeah. to say that they're married. So there's she's got some uh, aces yeah. up to sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, because she felt it. And I think in those moments where should I sign the certificate or not, she's feeling that this isn't right. This relationship Mm -hmm. isn't a keeper, Mm -hmm. but I'll do as much as I can while I can, but I'm not going to sign that. I can't sign that, that marriage certificate to make it official. And, you know, a lot of people feel that way about who they're with, you know, it's not right. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not a stable relationship. You know, Mm -hmm. there's issues and therefore you don't go all in. Like you're like maybe 60% and, or maybe not even that much. And Coco, most important relationships were torn from her. Well, yes. Her auntie Gwen says it kind of, I mean, I would say kidding. She's kind of got a acid tongue. Is that the term? Acid tongue? Yes. Right. But she said it kind of kid, you know, jokingly, but you know, behind behind every joke, there's a seat of truth or something. But she says, you know, you're a people pleaser. Uh Right. So I wonder how much you kind of played kind of armchair psychologist with, with Coco and just about, you know, all the, the the absolute tragedy that she went through, like how much that's related to the people pleasing. Yeah. Well, she wants, um, she doesn't want conflict really because she doesn't want that person that she could possibly have conflict with go away. Hmm. Uh, Because again, this, the worst thing has happened to her with uh, the people that she's, she loved are now away. And so she is conflict averse and she wants to make people happy to keep them there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's loss, it's trauma that drives uh, who she is. And that's a complex thing. Mm-hmm. She, she like, like people, she's all of us. She has that kind of weird thwarted way of looking and dealing with, with life. And I find that fascinating and, mm-hmm. and honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There is no black and white way of how to act. And yes. I want to capture that kind of ambiguity and the, the shuffling around trying to find the answer because that's who we are as people. We're yeah. constantly shuffling shuffling around looking for the answer. Yeah. yeah. Her friends kind of joking with her, like, man, you you found your recovery. You know, she she got with a lot of men, it sounds like, in the, the uh-huh. time after Micah. 
Self-medication. Uh, Self-medication. <laughs> you know, people all do in different ways. She definitely, you know, she does not uh -huh. drink throughout the book. They keep saying, are you sure? She's like, no, I'm, yeah. no, I'm good. I'm good. The idea of, you know, we, we, the Nelson Mandela quote, she's, you know, returned to Avalon. She's returned to mm -hmm. Catalina Island. It's, it's unchanged in so many ways. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about like the history or of Catalina. I'm not that you have to give, me, give us the whole history, but any research you did, um, you know, I, I think I've been there once. I mm -hmm. think of the ferries from Long Beach or San Pedro, yeah. right? The I high speed ferries, yeah. The high speed ferries, right? I think of the the bison, which are a yeah. big part of the book. Mm -hmm. So what was it like? There was a movie back in the day and they brought it. Yeah. Um, so William Wrigley, as in Wrigley. Wrigley Field, as in Wrigley Chewing Gum, yeah. bought that island. Um, and of course. You can way. just do that? You can just buy islands? Well, when you're with William Wrigley, yes, <laughs> that kind of crazy. Okay. Well. Okay. Um, and so, you know, of course, that displaces the tribes that the Tongva people who were there. So from the very beginning, that was a problem. Huh. And uh, Zane Gray, who was back then a famous pulp novelist, mm. uh, he wrote Westerns. They adapted his book for a movie. And part of that was bringing bison onto the island to be in scenes for the same gray movie. Mm. Uh, bisons that any, they were cut from the movie. So they, people didn't <laughs> need to get to see them, but what do you do with the bison? Whoa. Be, right. Uh. Uh, and so uh, he created, so he made it so that it became, you know, a tourist hotspot for, for the glitterati of uh, mm. Hollywood back then for the rich mm. folks. And, and and that's what it became. It mm. it you couldn't get over there unless you had access to a ferry, and not everybody had that. So that was kind of self-eliminating mm. who could be there and who can't, which mm. you know is kind of also tied to race. Black folks weren't allowed on ferries back then, so they couldn't settle in a place that they couldn't get to. Mm. That was you know engineered that way. Um, but I in my in my um, my research, I actually found someone who wrote her PhD, her dissertation for a PhD on Catalina and Avalon and wow. what it is, what's really going on there. And part of it is there's only so much room for people to live. Uh, to their credit, the Wrigley family, they part of a big part of the island is a nature conservancy. Mm. So there's no hunting. The bison can go wherever they want on that mm -hmm. island. Um, they're really, really, really careful about uh, plants. Mm. It's no orange seeds, right? Yeah. That, mm -hmm. And when I did a, a, a actual working kind of tour, the tour guide told me that story about um, a tour guide picking up orange seeds that someone had spit out because mm. you can't have an orange tree there. There's not enough water for their citrus and it will kill the actual plants that are on there. Mm. So that was actually fascinating to me. And it helped with my, uh, another theme of, you know, where do I belong? And there's a scene early where she, Coco is going to the house, her family's house. And she sees all this like overgrown uh, foliage there. And, you know, there's a gardener who she thinks is a gardener there and she wants to chop it off because she learns that it is uh, Catalina's nightshade. They have mm -hmm. their own genus of nightshade there. And we all know that nightshade kills. 
and she wants to get rid of it. And the the gardener's like, well, this belongs here. Mm. It's it's endemic. It's a part of who this island is. You, mm. you, unlike Coco, who is not of that island. So, mm. you know, the orange tree growing in a place where it's not supposed to uh, is also kind of like Coco being somewhere where does she fit or does she not? Mm-hmm. So, and and that is Catalina because none of us belong over there, you know, rightfully. Mm. So there was that. Also, I, I it's, uh, with that, um, the lack of space to grow, which it means there's not a space, lot a lot of space for building for housing, and so people, it's very expensive. Uh, people can't really afford for a house there who are just working on the island, just regular mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a housing crisis and it's 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 really difficult for people who do own houses because it's just expensive. There's taxes, all the rest of it. There's mm-hmm. no water on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So I, I found all that isolating and a little scary. And so when I was writing this during the pandemic, I wanted to make it scarier because how does a place that has um, not a lot of natural resources and, mm-hmm. you know, Trader Joe's and Ralph's and grocery stores all over the place, how will, how do they survive in a pandemic? And, you know, I did research about that. They closed the island down. And what mm-hmm. happens when you close a tourist island? you you know suffer the consequences economically hmm. so it was all kind of a mess uh for coco for the people of that island hardworking people who you know just want the best for their families hmm. uh dealing with not just the pandemic but these already existing problems of like i said drought uh, and the housing crisis hmm. Coco's friend Maddie from college, you know, hooks mm-hmm. her up with, with a with a job as an obituary writer. It's, I mean, she's, you could say she's overqualified for it. You know, in the small town paper, she worked for the LA Times and big papers. Mm-hmm. But she's like, okay, this could be comfortable. You know, thank you, Maddie. And yeah, in some of the research she does, and I, I feel like this probably mirrors like the LA Times and all mm-hmm. kinds of other mm-hmm. papers throughout the country. You know, she's writing for like the kind of the small newspaper there on the on the yeah. island. Right. Mm-hmm. Trying to kind of yeah. bring it back. That's Maddie's yeah. idea. But when Coco's kind of doing some research, she finds, you know, just outwardly racist articles and, and the wording used back in the you know 30s and 40s and beyond. Right. And it's real. When yeah. I was again doing research, uh, I found the Internet, uh, the archives on the Internet for the community paper. And that town has gone through uh, huge changes, evolution, because back then on the last page, they'd have these really offensive, uh, racist kind of jokes with dialect. And Mm. it was it was shocking. And around the 40s, 50s, many residents of Avalon are like that. We can't have that. That is not right. And it eventually it went away. Um, the same thing for people of color on the island. There were so many who were like this, you know, keeping people from buying property here. It's wrong, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and they tried, of course, to to turn that around. But mm-hmm. again, economically, how can 
you know, a working class family afford a house on an island. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 improved a lot. They uh, recognize the the tribes there that were originally there. Yeah, it's way more progressive than um, what I would have thought, especially mm-hmm. being so far from Los Angeles. You make me want to go back and visit for sure. And also probably be a little more scared when I'm there, but, <laughs> but, I, but definitely what an interesting place. And you really just brought out so much that you maybe wouldn't even think about Gwen, Gwen, the, the aunt that we talked about was, this is Coco's dad's sister. Mm-hmm. She, shoot, she deserves her own book. I mean, she's a yeah, character, <laughs> right? She has her little yes. martinis and her little Vienna sausages. She's, mm-hmm. In many ways, she's beloved on the island, right? She's been there for many, you know years. She's beloved, and you know it's a small town feel. Yeah, but she's, she's also a like, she, yeah, she is. But she's also yeah. a thief, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I love Gwen. I love creating Gwen. Gwen is like everybody's um, sassy auntie. Yeah. Yeah. Had, wears the silk robes and smokes Paul Malls and watches the, the stories all yeah. day. And I wanted <laughs> to capture that. Um, it was. I, I loved writing. Um, anything with her, especially when I mentioned when Coco first gets to the house that she is eating Vienna sausages. And Mm. those of us of a certain age grew up with Vienna sausages and immediately you smell it. You know what a Vienna sausage, you know, smells like. So I wanted to capture that setting Mm. uh, of this woman who, yeah, is a character on the island and has an opinion about everything, but who is losing her memory. Mm-hmm. So she's she's dealing with uh losing parts of herself. And here comes this young, you know, this young woman mm-hmm. trying to take something solid from her. So yeah, there's there's some friction there. Maybe it's just a biopic about biopic, how do you pronounce it? Biopic? I don't know. Biopic? Biopic on mm-hmm. Gwen, like I think like the trailer should be something about she has a great line. She says basically I'm not I'm not Robin Hood. I steal from the rich, but I but I'm the one who's poor, something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, she she has a hobby. She has, she has a, a hobby. hobby. Yeah. We all need we all need hobbies, right? And we all need hobbies. And yes. you know, the people yes. that she plucks things from are awful, awful people. So you don't feel right. sorry. Yeah, you don't feel too like, bad for them. Well, you know, you're awful. So yoink, I'm gonna take that. There you go. <laughs> Coco meets uh, meets Noah, who also works mm-hmm. at the paper. He's he's the guy. I mean, he's old money, right? Yeah, he's old money. He's and, old money. Please, yeah, bored, talk about him a little bit. Old, yeah, and bored by the old money. He's that uh-huh. rich kid who hasn't had to fight for much, and so he looks for adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been raised in this kind of homogenous society, so here comes Coco, who is different from anybody else on the island, just because she's you know a black Angelino. And it's fascinating, you know, for him. He is he is truly um, interested in who she is and how she's reacting to the island and her aunt and the murders that are are, are occurring. And so, in a way, she's like um, a research subject for him, mm-hmm. which you know is a little kind of smarmy and un- unfair because it's mm-hmm. like, are 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 we having this friendship because? you're trying to get something from me or act, do you actually enjoy me, enjoy my time, appreciate mm-hmm. who I am. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting uh, relationship where again, she has to kind of teach him about um, who we are, especially you know, women period, but 
especially black women, who he's never really even dealt with uh, his time on earth, and especially in Catalina. So it's a it's an interesting relationship. Should should we cut him some slack? Is he is he just totally using her? Should we cut him a little bit of slack? Like he doesn't know better, like that's, ignorance that's, in the true sense of the word. Well, he knows better, but he's you know he's the adventure guy. He writes those stories about um, his daring do, you know, doing mm. extreme sports and mm. going to the bullfights and all this mm. random things that only rich kids can do. Mm. And so he he is he is totally innocently kind of interested and curious about mm-hmm. someone who is just as interesting as a bullfight so yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah she's 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 something interesting to 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 follow and you know she will not appreciate that once she mm-hmm. understands that's kind of what's happening you touched upon the there's definitely a little complication many but one is that yes there are these elderly folks they're mostly late seventies. There are a lot of connections between them. They keep dying on the Island. They're five, six, seven, you know, we're getting these stories and, you know, there are some people who take it more seriously than others. There are yeah. people who, you know, maybe some like the, some of the police and some people mm-hmm. kind of like the mayor, right. They're like, we don't want this to happen. Right. Yeah. We don't, we yeah. don't want this out. In other words, we don't want this right. out. Right. Cause it affects like economics. Right. Right. And then of course, another complication is March 12th, March 13th, 2020. That. Y'all know what happens. Yeah. You know, like you know, they cut off the ferries except for you know very rare um, ferry mm-hmm. trips. Yeah. So it's kind of like everyone is self-contained. You talk right. about quarantine, right? Right. And also, we discovered that people were doing bad things to each other during the in, in the name of COVID nineteen. Yeah. There were, sure. you know, when you're trapped in a house with people, it you get irritated. And for those of us who are very dangerous, uh, for instance, there. There were husbands and boyfriends killing their spouses and girlfriends, mm. strangling them and saying, COVID did it, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of crimes went unreported or uninvest- uh-huh. not investigated because uh-huh. it looks like COVID did it. No one wants to go in the house to do any uh, uh, investigating because- Wow, now- do you think there are a lot of those that were not, that are, still haven't been solved kind of thing? Yeah, oh, because how are you going to, how do you know? Mm. You know, people are dead and gone and- they can't say sure. that it was, you know, you strangled, you, you died from suffocation because you had a pillow over your face mm. or this weird virus that we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like a perfect cover. Mm. And I wanted to capture that too. And just yeah. how scary that was for, you know, kids. Kids were home with abusive parents. It, yeah. was, it was awful for mm. so many reasons. And mm. again, it's it's even worse on an island like Catalina where these old people are dying and we all know and during COVID old people were dying a lot from this and you kind of like well they're old and can we get that house you you know because they have houses they have the property so it was a mixed bag it's a mixed bag of uh, awful things uh, Mm. happening to to people on that island. I've kind of just wondered kind of vaguely, like how, how, how can someone write about the pandemic? I don't know that I've read much mm-hmm. fiction and like, oh, pointing at your book, like, oh, okay, exhibit uh-huh. A, like that's, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Cause yeah. it's not, it's not the main plot line, right? No. But it's, but it's there, it's creeping. It's, yeah. it, you know, it, it has a lot to do with the way things are, like you said, things are looked at, crimes are looked at. I mean, 
And there are books about World War II and the Holocaust and the Spanish flu and all this stuff. And as writers, that's for me, in my opinion, like that's gold mine, job. Huh? Yeah, to capture what life is like for mm-hmm. people going through the worst times in their yeah. lives. What yeah. do we do? Yeah. Micah is sending threatening notes and emails and phone and, and texts. And sometimes he won't answer his phone. And sometimes he does. And mm-hmm. making um, life she, hard for her. Yeah, definitely. And she starts to get vandalism and, and a mess in her house and hearing people and seeing people at different times. And, you know, they're spying on her and she gets texts that are so hyper specific that someone has to know who she is, where she is. There's one that is outright racist basically yeah. says go home echoes of redlining type of uh-huh. thing yeah See, we're getting to the point now where i'm going to start kind of tiptoeing slash you know not talking about the plot because it really gets <laughs> all the start coming in but early in the book i want to say he, uh-huh. he gets a little cameo later on but you know frank he's like one of the, the cab drivers he's a real gregarious guy yeah. and you know he's talking about you know these important issues he's talking about like like you said you know there's only so much land to buy uh-huh. you know airbnbs and corporations are taking over yeah. And he's kind of like, you know, you can't run away though. And away. I don't think he, I don't think he knows at all, right. Who he's talking to. I mean, nope, he if, anyone, if anyone could run away, you would say, you know what, Coco, you're that totally is. justified in doing so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that, you know, that happens to us all the time where you're involved in something that's awful, but you know, people are going about their lives around mm. you thinking you're, yep. you're okay. And mm. You don't say anything. You just say, oh, I'm good. Because what else are you going to say? You don't yeah. want to, you know, bring bring down the conversation. And Frank was very, he was excited about her being on this island, not mm-hmm. realizing that awful things happen. She's just, it's not a new place for her. Awful mm-hmm. things happen here for her. Yeah. 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 Definitely ideas of gentrification. You mentioned one of the women, I mean, she's studying her, her language, which is Tongva, you know, yeah. going back to Shout out to San Pedro. I used to live in San Pedro. She so goes back to San Pedro to do her uh, to to study her language. You know, I mean, the bison, like you talk about, they're they're literally not native like to yeah. that land, but you know, yeah. they, they might as well be now. You know, right? Yeah. You, you talk about all the old feuds on the island. Like it uh-huh. really is a small town. Yeah. Um, we talked about running away, running to. I mean, coping with trauma. I mean, how how do you? I mean, the extreme yeah. trauma that she she faced. Um, you know, racism and classism. Yeah, because who can afford and who can't afford, you know, mm-hmm. the genesis of the island. I mean, one of the older women, she has to go across the Pacific Ocean to learn the language that her yes. people spoke on the island that she's leaving. It's like, how bizarre that is that? Is, that is yeah. so, so well written. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. And yeah, ideas of loneliness. I mean, there's uh-huh. some really scary parts and and yeah, I think that's now that I really think about it, I think that 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 fear is really from like how true to life that is. Like it's not, you know, you don't have it's not a thrasher, what's the book? It's not a slasher book. No, right. But yeah, I mean it's it's lonely. There's a scariness, there's mm-hmm. a there's a fear in that, right? Yeah, no, and part of that comes from I I I grew up living in apartments. Mm. And there's a certain comfort in apartment living. You mm-hmm. you're around people, you know the sounds, sure. you know, you're not alone. When we moved to our house, uh, when we bought our house, it was very hard for me to kind of just settle in because Um, I didn't know the sounds mm. of the house. I didn't know anything about hot water heaters going Mm -hmm. bang, 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 or, you know, things scratching in the attic or underneath the house. It was foreign to me. And it 
terrified me. And I know when I go to places that aren't cities, mm -hmm. I'm scared because it's dark there and yeah. that hide in the dark. So I wanted her to be in a place that she kind of knew, but didn't. And bad uh -huh. things happen there. And it's so unlike Los Angeles. And yeah, you know, someone's out there in the dark. Is it a deer or is it someone two-legged and evil? So yes. yeah, she's it, it's it's unsettling just mm -hmm. the environment that is considered a paradise, right? Not I for right. I was just going to ask you about that. I mean, is there? I mean, are there echoes of like you know the Garden of Eden, paradise? Um, uh -huh. Is that yeah. you know this idea of kind of like it's, there's more to it than it than it seems? Yeah, I mean, there is no paradise. No, there is exist. no paradise. Uh -huh. We're we're human and we're imperfect, so that means we can't make a perfect place because we bring our issues everywhere we go. Right. It makes life interesting, but it makes it so that there is nowhere you can escape the human condition because mm. we just we can't not avoid drama. Yes, and I love capturing that drama. True word, true words have never been spoken. And <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm kicking myself right now because I for a podcast that was largely based on Tobias Wolf, the writer. Mm. I can't think of the name of the story. I can't believe it, but he has a story where. There's a guy who we don't never know for sure, but he most likely writes um, writes fake obituaries. Uh, uh -huh. uh, no, I'm excuse me that that a person was upset. A person calls in. He's upset that there was an obituary written about him, but uh -huh. he says I didn't die. But we later found out he most likely was the one who who set up the whole ruse himself. Uh -huh. Right, <laughs> kind of like yeah, you're able to to see how yeah. people mourn you, right? Yeah, yeah. Tuber okay. just did something stupid like that where, oh. yeah, he they had a funeral and he showed up just oh, because he wanted to see how people he wanted family to get back together or something really. Oh, okay, that does uh, sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On one hand, that's beautiful, but on the other hand, it's like these stupid YouTubers. But anyway, <laughs> right? But yeah. the um. The I, I wonder about just like how it's so cool to you. I mean, you write in so many different voices yeah. in that you you're like a story within a story, right? These obituaries are yeah. a story within a story, and there are multiple obituaries, and some are more factual. Uh -huh. But you know, definitely when Coco writes them slash you, there's they're creative. They're not necessarily the obituaries maybe that most of us are used to seeing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I guess you know my last question for you would be about about what it was like to kind of inhabit Colette's pen if you will yeah her fingers as she did those obituaries and then, and then also about um where where are you going with the title and if you want to leave it in uh mm -hmm. kind of secrecy or or let us yeah. kind of make our own conclusions you can too yeah no i wanted colette when i was imagineering her profession i knew mm. that i wanted her to be, I, like that. <laughs> I wanted her to be a writer but i didn't want her to be an out and out um reporter Okay. And as I was researching, I stumbled upon uh, this documentary of the New York Times and their whole, uh, their obituary writers and how, you know, of course they have some that are already written, yeah. but they have some that are not. And people go and you know, interview people and learn about them. And then I learned that there's actually an award for mm. best obituaries. I'm like, this is perfect oh, for her because yeah. not only is it just this creative release, it's her excuse to be nosy, to ask questions, mm -hmm. to learn what people think and what they're fear fearing, all in the name of writing this obituary. She yeah. is professionally nosy. 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's 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 why, uh, yeah, I wanted her to be able to go into someone's home um, and experience their grief with them and try and figure out, you know, why their loved one is gone. Mm. That was a perfect vehicle. And yeah. what never happened came from um, our our ability, our our thing to sorry, well. our um, changing history. Like mm. we mentioned, uh, Harper being freed. There was mm. a whole, you know, twenty years where you thought he did it, but sure. he didn't do it. But in uh. the meantime, you know, you're building on what you think is right and what happened, and it didn't. Um, mm. Catalina Island being a perfect place never happened. It was yeah. always perfect. Uh, sure. Coco's. Uh, her her personality her job her family wasn't perfect uh her 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 father was a little selfish in wanting to live there mm. you know this perfect family never happened and so mm. i that's where it it, it came from what mm. never happened in so many ways awesome uh, what never happened if you're listening like why why are you not online right now ordering <laughs> why are you not going to the bookstore like what are you doing the book is always better than the movie but this will make a dang good movie nah, series thank you. Thank yeah you. <laughs> who plays who plays coco um someone like uh nicole bahari who was the lead on um headless horseman uh that one sleep uh, hollow sleep hollow okay yeah yeah okay. because she, she has this kind of wide-eyed innocent mm. yet very sharp type of uh personalities that she mm. plays and yes yeah, she could be both uh, a bitch and warm and, and a warm bitch <laughs> <laughs> then so you were ready yeah. with that answer okay yeah. you were ready with that all yeah. right she, she, she would be she'd be awesome i love to know i mean like you said you you know you spent like you didn't necessarily say but you were talking about you know this book is is so long in the making mm-hmm. and you know i know that with publication it's you know turned in a long time ago and all this i know it's so exciting that's coming out so if you're just like hey i'm gonna take a break it's all good but i wonder if you have any future projects you wanted to discuss yes i mentioned um i'm publishing my first fantasy novel and it's, yeah it's, it comes out in february it's called the last okay. one uh, i'm sorry say that again the last the last one uh-huh and yeah, it's my first foray into another genre as you know, as big mm. as this. And it's basically um The Witcher meets NK Jemison, who, you know, is a black ah. fantasy writer. So some of the intellect with some of the action, okay. you know, Gen X kind of novel, basically. Yeah. Star as people. Nice. And so, yeah, February. February. Well, that you would go an interesting uh, change because you know, crime is so real and grounded in reality sure. and laws are laws fantasy it was hard for me to just create a place because i'm used to you know finding out what you know what the law is and how police do this thing and for fantasy it all comes from here and hmm. you know, i had to trust my my head and uh my my sources around me to help me you know actually achieve this and i guess i did because it's coming out in february that's exciting yeah. oh, you, you say laws are laws i mean i'm just I've been reading about trump today are you sure like he just yeah. i mean are you, you know, sure i haven't i haven't been on the twitter uh, excuse oh. me x all day x. So yes yes, yes. i know big yeah. things have happened 
So. More documents and healing, whatever. That that's for a different day. Yeah. You're you're going against type as as a writer. Like there's so many long titles these days. You're just short and to the point. Yeah, I tend to like three words, three to four okay. words. Yeah, punchy. I like it. I like it. Punchy. <laughs> punchy is the word. Everyone, everyone, not, nothing wrong with it, but everyone's got like a sem, you know, a colon now, and you know, like a <laughs> subtitle. <laughs> yeah, no, I like I like the 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 heart hitting, get to the point because my stories tend to be a little more complicated than you know, yes. what the title suggests. So yes, mm-hmm. yes. Congrats on this one and, and great luck on the, the ones in the future. And thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thank you again for inviting me. I, I really had a great time talking about books and this, you know, this new book and Catalina and where things come from. So thank you for giving me that chance. There's nothing better, right? Yeah. Nothing yeah. better to talk about. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to episode 196 with Rachel Housel Hall. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music, really any of the famous streaming platforms. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1, the digit one. Sign up now for the Chills of Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills of Will podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. This month's episode in July is with Daniel Allen Cox, and we have an exciting episode coming up in August. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show. It's just me my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an often-ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Check out the next episode, which airs later today, this evening, if you're listening on August 1st, sometime around 4 or 5 p.m. Pacific time. Chloe Cooper-Jones is the guest. She is a contributing writer at the New York Times Magazine. She's also a Pulitzer Prize finalist in feature writing for Fearing for His Life, a profile of Ramsey Orda, the man who filmed the killing of Eric Garner, and the recipient of the 2020 Whiting Creative Nonfiction Grant, and the 2021 Howard Foundation grant from Brown University with both grants in support of her 2023 book, Easy Beauty. Easy Beauty, fairly recently, is her second Pulitzer Prize nomination. Wow. Again, this episode with Chloe Cooper-Jones will air on August 1st, i.e. today if you're listening to this episode with Rachel. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Rachel Housel Hall, whose work, like What Never Happened, gives you chills at will. (laughs) 